You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and my co-host is Dr. Mary Osborne, the Director of the Stewart House Museum. Thank you for joining us as we travel through the Key Magazine from 1882 to today. All right, Dr. Oz, thanks for the goods on 1907. And that means I get to do 1908 next. To give you an idea of what was going on around the world while our Kappa sisters were plugging away, here's a bit about 1908. It was a leap year. And on January 1st, Shackleton set out on the first of his three successful expeditions to Antarctica. This one was called Nimrod Expedition. Talk about a rabbit hole. I couldn't figure out why the name was chosen, except that in the Old Testament of the Bible, Nimrod was a great hunter. So I suppose they were hunting for the South Pole. But it really caught my eye because I walked down the aisle at my wedding to Nimrod from Elgar's Enigma Variations. And yes, the organist also thought it was a weird choice, (laughs) but he made it work and we loved it. On January 15th, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated was founded founded at Howard University. On February 1st, King Carlos I and Prince Louis Philippe of Portugal were killed in Lisbon. In July 1908, the Summer Olympics were held in London, even though they were originally scheduled to be held in Rome. Do you have any idea why they were moved? Tell me the date again. 1908. They were supposed to be held there in 1906. Or I'm sorry, they were supposed to be held in 1908, but it was an event that happened in 1906. I mean, it's Italy, so it probably has something to do with a volcano. Oh, okay. (laughs) It was because of an eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Again, basically for, you know, the last thousand years, it erupts like every five years or so. But they think the big major eruptions are, you know, about every thousand years. So we might be coming up on another one. I was going to say political intrigue, but yeah. So it erupted in 1906 and devastated the city of Naples. So money for the Olympics was then diverted to help Naples and then London hosted instead. I was proud to read about Ohio in August 1908. On August 8th, Wilbur Wright from Dayton, Ohio, flew in France for the first time. And it was the first true controlled power flight in Europe. And then the Hoover Company of Canton, Ohio, acquired the manufacturing rights to the upright portable vacuum cleaner. Hooray! But then, bad news for the Wright brothers. The first person to die in a plane crash was Thomas Selfridge. I don't know if he was like heir to the Selfridge store. Uh, Not heir, but founder of or related to. Um, But he died on September 17th in a plane that was piloted by Wilbur's brother, Orville. Orville was injured, but he recovered from the accident. You know, Wilbur Wright was born in Indiana. Uh, well, near the border, right? Yeah. This... <laughs> <laughs> also in transportation news, the Model T was officially launched on October 1st with an initial price of $850. And they always talk about how Ford, you know, brought the automobile to the common man. However, the inflation calculator tells me that $850 in 1908 is worth $25,000 today. So pretty expensive. I don't know if they had payment plans or car payments or something at that point, but $25,000, that's pretty expensive. Uh, In November 1908, William Howard Taft, Ohioan, defeated William Jennings Bryan to become president of the United States. And he is my favorite walrusy president. Good old Taft. 
And the notable or I suppose recognizable to me births in 1908 were your favorite, the actor Rex Harrison on March 5th. Oh, no. Oh, my God. No. Okay. Rex Harrison, good actor, horrible human being. He was a real jerk. You are the easiest to get a rise out of. I actually could not remember <laughs> if you liked him or not. And so if you did like him, I was going to be like, well, yeah, because that's your era of actors. But then I was like, I'm pretty sure you don't like him. He was a real jerk. He's the whole reason there's a no- completely different set for um, I've grown accustomed to her face because he couldn't share the same set with Jeremy Brett because he was kind of <laughs> ego. Gosh. Well, he was born on March 5th. <laughs> And the author, Louis L'Amour, was born on March 22nd. The actress, Betty Davis, on April 5th. The industrialist and subject of the movie Schindler's List, Oscar Schindler, was born on April 28th. The actor, Jimmy Stewart. I don't know how you feel about Jimmy Stewart. I like him. I do. Uh, He was born on May 20th. Um, Helen Bucher, the French aviator, was born on May 23rd. And then Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. Not as much my favorite as Walrusy Taft, but anyway, he was born on July 2nd. And then one of my favorite authors, Richard Wright, was born on September 4th. And the infamous Senator Joe McCarthy, whose wife, Jean Kerr, was a GW Capo, was born on November 14th. And there weren't actually many notable deaths in 1908, but I did find reference to November 7th and the occasionally argued account of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid dying in Bolivia. Supposedly, they were surrounded by soldiers when they were killed, but their graves are unmarked and other rumors conflict with the story. So still, nobody knows and they can't really agree. All right, now for the good stuff in the key. Like you, Dr. Oz, there are a couple of themes in these issues that carry throughout the year. Uh, they still feature various schools and they're included in the magazine. And these cover private schools like Syracuse, DePauw, and Swarthmore, and then broader examinations with articles like tendencies in state universities or social dominance in co-educational colleges. So they're very serious on these school profiles. There's a clearer division in writing that seems directed at the undergraduates and then at the alumni. Um, Obviously, the hot topics for undergrads are still recruitment and the process of inviting new members, as well as the effort to inculcate a sense of fraternity. They also spend time discussing how members relate to non-fraternity girls, so still, still a very sensitive topic. Women students are still moving around more than their predecessors with reports of Kappa's teaching in Palestine and Spain. Those are all listed in these these issues. And then alums are still tossing around ideas about the best way to be useful and also how to find fulfillment in Kappa after one has left school. They're turning to people who are non-members for expert advice or opinions on some of these hot topics. In the February issue on page 30, Payson Jackson Treat, an assistant professor of history at Stanford, writes about the conscience of the chapter. He argues that the conscience of the chapter should assert a strong influence toward developing its members into splendid men or into noble women. He then reminds the reader that these wonderfully developed students and their chapters may be counted upon to support enthusiastically every form of college enterprise. He offers examples of chapters who do not live up to these ideals, and as a sort of cautionary tale, he's telling them what not to do. This seems like a perfect example of getting someone else to wag their finger at the students. Maybe they'll listen to someone who's not so close. 
And remember, anti-fraternity sentiment is still hot and heavy at this time. And reading between the lines offers a message of your position is tenuous. Don't mess it up. In the December issue, a similar article was written by Della McCordell Palmer from Beta Gamma at Worcester on page 31. The title of her article is A Distinction and Obligation, and she talks about the pride of living out the ideals of fraternity, as well as the obligation that comes along with that. She writes, but what shall we say of one, of ourselves, who have this added privilege and power? Simply this, we have an additional obligation we owe more. If in these years of our higher education, nothing has been withheld from us, if we have entered into the full circle of experiences, rounded and complete, then we have a larger debt of service. And woe to us if we do not pay, not only because we shall fail in enriching others, but also because we shall greatly impoverish ourselves. So there's some heavy instruction to the membership. What's the old saying? With great with with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. (laughs) And then for the alumni stuff, uh, looking at items concerning the alumni in the February issue on page 34, Elmi Warner Mallory opens up the discussion about how alumni might remain connected to their chapters. So several write in with examples of round robin letters, annual reunions, newsletters. Um, And then by the May issue on page 37, Catherine Wright from Beta Tau at Syracuse makes a compelling argument for maintaining fraternity enthusiasm throughout college in order to see the fraternity as a preparation for life. She writes that fraternity life soon teaches us unselfishness, but the lesson of thoughtfulness comes more slowly and laboriously. Thoughtfulness deals more with the small details than does unselfishness, and therefore is harder to learn. But after all, the little things count most, whichever side of the scale they are on, and so we must try to keep them in mind. And then while pondering the role of Kappa after college, further in the May issue on page 73, there's quite a lively discussion about alumni and their role at the upcoming convention. It's interesting that if an alumni association pays dues, votes upon a delegate, and then pays to send that delegate to convention, they will have the full privileges of convention, except a vote. So they can speak on the floor, they can participate in debate, but they can't actually vote. So it sounds to me a bit like the one house, one vote idea that was often discussed as women fought for suffrage. You can participate and discuss, but you don't actually get to exercise that that discussion or that opinion. Naturally, I was excited to have a convention report this time. In the October issue on page 11, the business of convention is reviewed, and a notable change to the Constitution included adding the position of assistant registrar to the chapter. (laughs) This is probably only funny to you and me, since now, in 2021, the position of registrar has been eliminated on account of the duties being redundant to the work of headquarters and other chapter officers. They also talked about patenting or copywriting the design of our badge, and the overwhelming advice was that it would be inexpedient, not worth their while. And today I couldn't be more grateful that our designs are trademarked, so thank you Claire Pierce for eventually getting that done. It makes our job of recognizing counterfeit badges a little bit easier. And they also discussed moving to one official jeweler, and that was also put down pretty quickly. They talked about how it would eliminate competition, set up monopolies, and so on. However, almost 40 years later, I think it was 1948, they did officially decide on official jeweler. So just one um, to help kind of keep the, the mold of our badge safe. 
So I guess for most of these things, just wait 40 years. <laughs> you might actually get something done. For the chapter letters, Gamma Rho at Allegheny's letter in the February issue was my favorite. On page 56, they write, a pleasing feature of Christmas is our tree. This year, after our regular meeting, we were led to the room of one of the girls where Mrs. Potter Brown, our beloved skeleton, was hanging from the chandelier. She was lighted with small candles and we could plainly see that she had a gift for each of her followers. After the gifts were distributed, a delicious spread followed. Then we sang Kappa songs. <laughs> and that's when they end with a quick note about their plans for convention, which they'll host in the coming months. Ada Chapter at Wisconsin's February letter was a close second as they described a cozy fall. <laughs> they wrote, every Saturday afternoon, we girls have gathered around our open fire in the chapter room to sew, eat fudges, and plan for the Christmas that seemed so slow in coming and now has joined the happy memories of the past. So, I really need some fudge now. You know, I'd like to ask chapters today if that's a typical Saturday afternoon for them. Sewing around the fire while eating fudge, not tailgating for football or something like that. In the alumni notes, I loved Cy's bit in the February issue about Margaret Loomis Stecker, who was appointed special agent of the Bureau of Labor in the Federal Department of Commerce and Labor for the National Investigation of the Employment of Women and Children. I think we've talked about this before, but essentially she is a federal agent tasked with investigating human trafficking. So in 1908, still cutting edge and still dealing with all of these societal ills. Um, and I love that a Kappa had something to do with that. And, you know, I don't often spend too much time on the exchanges since I miss the witty repartee between Minetta Taylor and the other editors in those early issues. But there were some, some funny tidbits that um, really are just thinly veiled criticism in these issues. In the February issue on page 84, the editors write, sort of in review, the liar of Alpha Chi Omega has no prejudice against abbreviating the word fraternity. Even its editorial page speaks of frat meetings. And that's it. So I'm guessing our own editors at the time do in fact have a prejudice against abbreviating the word fraternity. And then about the Trident of Delta Delta Delta, the editor of the Trident had written about wishing all members would send little experiences and incidents unsolicited. The editors of the key write, one feels in glancing over the pages of the Trident that if that is the editor's desire, she has certainly realized it. The magazine is full of the intimate sort of chat and anecdote that girls exchange at informal spreads, but do not usually put into print. Jokes, details, personalities, all of those things that make the reader feel like an outsider at a family reunion. <laughs> so, ouch, keep your informal spread chatter out of print, ladies. <laughs> And in college notes in the February issue on page 87, Tufts is advocating the segregation of men and women in order to remedy the decreasing of men's students. And then on the opposite side of the coin, Johns Hopkins removed the restriction against co-education. Though, get this, women could be admitted to graduate classes at the option of the head of each department. So hopefully there's a progressive head if you wanted to attend Hopkins in 1908. Yeah, that sounds very similar to the way the German university system operated. Because I think you remember when uh, we were going through issues in which Kappas were 
like on exchange programs or just studying abroad and they would send in a letter about their experiences. And I believe that the, one of the letters that described what it was like to take classes in Germany was that you, you could only be admitted if the professor in charge would you know, grant mm -hmm. you permission. So, right. Well, like I said, hopefully it's a progressive professor who believes women can also be educated. And then check out this note on page 88 of the February issue. In case you were of the belief that fraternities and sororities invented hazing, they write, the students of New York University have discovered in trial by jury a substitute for hazing. A certain freshman who refused to follow precedent in rubbing down a sophomore after football practice was pursued by a crowd of students and threatened with a dunking, so he took refuge with the chancellor of the university. The chancellor upheld the university rule against hazing. The freshman finally brought the boy to trial before a freshman jury on two charges. One, the neglect of established university custom, and two, carrying a student matter to the faculty. He was found guilty and disciplined by being put on probation for three months with the understanding that after good behavior for that length of time, he is to be restored to class approval. So as we were talking about earlier, students having lots of full control over their own activities on the campus. And a lot of that would not fly today. Also in the February issue, Swarthmore writes of a bequest that reminds me of the one that was offered to Worcester. In short, Worcester College in Ohio was offered a larger bequest on the condition that they abolish Greek life. Long story short, they took the deal, closed the fraternities and sororities, and the money never came. Oops. So Swarthmore's offer is a bequest if they abolish intercollegiate sports. And they polled all of the other groups, and, or the university polled all the other groups, and even our Beta Iota chapter at Swarthmore posed that question in a previous letter to, to all the folks, and they decided to decline the bequest. But what is it with rich people offering money with these crazy stipulations? I don't know, but there, I think there was a news article about, I forget which university, that's why I'm looking it up. Um, they received gift for a new dorm, but the catch is that the 97-year-old millionaire or billionaire gets to design it himself. <laughs> I mean, start your own school if you want such specific conditions. But like I said, anyway, Swarthmore turned that one down. Um, I don't actually remember when Beta, beta Gamma's was offered. Um, but I wonder if maybe they learned a lesson from Beta Gamma. And just like the magazine, I'll close these issues with advertisements. In each of the issues, I was interested to see a number of ads from various colleges and universities. A funny one was from Adrian College in Adrian, Michigan. That was home of our Z chapter. The ad included that their dormitories are warmed by steam and lighted by electricity. And then some of the other ads include crispy crackers, spelled with all Ks, cirrhosis shoes, which I assume are for initiation. And then I loved this one, hat bands and ribbons for belts. So using fraternity colors, you know, the kind of the Charleston looking hat, the straw hat with the ribbon around it. Yeah, the boater. Yeah. Yes, the boater. Thank you. Um, and then belts that you might wear around your, around your dress. They were selling them in fraternity colors. And Fran Beck has written about that in her blog, Focus on Fraternity History. 
And then in almost all of the issues, there are advertisements for local florists and cut flowers, which is really specific to one particular area. So that's kind of seems to me a big gamble to advertise in Kappa's magazine, knowing that the larger readership will never be able to patronize your business. It's not like you can call and have flowers delivered elsewhere. It's not Teleflora yet. So... All right, I better stop here since I mentioned to you earlier, 1908 wasn't that interesting and this is already getting a little too long. So thank you for joining me, Oz, and for your review of 1907 and for listening to 1908. And you know the drill, that's all the news to know in the key magazine. And it matters. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by the director of the Stewart House Museum and member of Alpha Deuteron Chapter at Monmouth College, Dr. Mary Osborne and me, Kylie Smith, from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College, and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.